2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. We're going to try to close out this chapter today if we can. And uh, getting through 2 Timothy. Timothy, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, his young protege. You know, pretty soon we're going to see in a, you know, a few weeks in the fourth chapter, as he says, you're going to come see me. He's helping him get things ready, dealing with some false teachers. Has some pretty cool things to say, dealing with false teachers here. He said, talking about the people whom he shares the gospel with, talking about the church, you know, that he's, that he's there to help. He said, remind them in verse 13, 14, remind them of these things, the things that I have told you, and solemnly or carefully exhort them, encourage them, in other words, in the presence of God, not to dispute or argue about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the listeners. So Paul makes an important point. He said, look, you got to clean up some messes. And he does. And you got to fix some problems. Bad teaching, some bad teachers. He said, but what I want to encourage you to encourage them is don't get trapped. He's going to talk more about it in just a minute. Don't get trapped in arguments and controversies that simply don't matter, that sometimes they become useless. I, I, I think about this, and this doesn't quite fall on that, but as I'm prepping for the sermon Sunday, um, there's discussion about in, in the passage I'm going to be in about Jesus breathing on the disciples about the Holy Spirit about what, you know, what it meant and, you know, and all the things that involved with him breathing. Was it permanent? Was it temporary? What was the implications? And, and there's all that discussion. And it's like, it doesn't matter because in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes permanently and settles the whole issue. So why are we arguing about what that matters? You know, it doesn't really matter that what happened. It's important, but what really matters is the fact that God took care of everything anyways. And I think sometimes we've got to remember, we, we don't want to get sucked into things that aren't necessary. Now, as I, I, when I was young, I used to try to bat, win every battle. And then I began to realize that takes a lot of energy to win every battle. And sometimes it's just useless. And what it leads to, and he says this in verse 14, he says it leads to the ruin of the listeners. and ends up damaging relationships. So unless it's really important, it's not worth it. It's not worth damaging the relationship. He says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. We got kids meeting in Awana. We got guys with Awana shirts. They, you know what Awana stands for? Huh? You know what verse is quoting? Look at your shirt. What verse is it quoting? Yeah, I can't see it because it's upside down, and there's other reasons you can't see it either. So it's quoting 2 Timothy 2, 15. And anybody know what Awana stands for besides me? You know? Me and Joe. Oh, Kenley, you know what does it stand for? You thought you did. What? Approved workmen are not ashamed. Taken from the KG, King James, but here it is. You're an approved of God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed. He said, be diligent. In other words, you're going to accurately handle the word of truth, the word of God. So that accurately handle comes from a word that means to find the right path, to divide something up, to get the right journey. Paul's just saying to this to Timothy, here's what you need to do. Be sure that you, you let people know you present yourself before God and others, proved. And you don't have to be ashamed of your positions because you have accurately handled the word of truth. One of the things that I, that I, I just look at and, um, and, and, and take comfort in, and for me, is that I've, I've never had to be ashamed of anything that I've preached or taught. I don't, and I don't worry if people agree with me, if they don't like it, because this is what I know. I take the truth, I take the word of God, and I accurately handle it. 
You know, I don't know, I'm not saying I'm flawless. I'm not saying that I don't have a few things that I can work on. I'm not saying some of the controversial or complicated things, maybe I don't get to the wrong place, but I mean, in the essentials, the things that really matter, I got nothing to be ashamed of. I know what God's word says. We, we teach the children the word of God. They're over there memorizing scripture. I was told today what they were memorizing, what, the, what passage they're in. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. They're memorizing about the rapture. And I'm like, why are children worried? Why? why? Never mind. I just don't go down there. But, you know, the important thing is they are learning the Bible. And they'll memorize that. So why? So they can handle it accurately. And they don't have to be ashamed of that, of doing that. He says, notice, avoid worldly and empty chatter. Worldly chatter, empty chatter, which is useless. It will lead to further ungodliness. If you and he's fixing the name. And so what he's fixing to do is talk about false teachers. And he's going to mention some. Don't get sucked in to things of the world. He says their talk will spread like gangrene. And uh, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. So he says this. And gangrene is, you know, it's is a deadly infection. He says, do not get sucked into the controversies that you find with so many people today. Because by getting sucked into those controversies... What, what's going to happen is you're going to, you're going to hurt one another. You're going to hurt the listeners. And in the end, people, you know, you, you don't want to be one of those uh, who will get sucked into the ungodliness, understanding that what these false teachers teach are like gangrene. Now, he's not saying don't deal with it. He does say deal with it. But a lot of times what you have to do, and this is what you have, and this is kind of the, the, the way that I understand it and take it a little bit. I can't fix the false teachers but I can make sure you understand truth so the false teachers don't make any headway. And a lot of what, what we, I do is try to make sure you have truth so that when you, something false comes your way, you can rightly remove yourself from it, that you have enough information to handle it. But it's not just that you have enough information. One of the things I try to challenge you to do is to go read the New Testament especially for yourself. What I say in January every week, you know, be experts, be fluent in Jesus. Why? Because if you're that way, you don't have to worry about it. I don't worry about false teaching coming your way if you understand the truth. That's an important consideration. So you, you have this balance of dealing with false teachers, but not letting your church get sucked into controversy. Sometimes I've been known to say, and, and I think we, and I think Joe's had to do this a lot over these last few years sometimes, to invite people to go somewhere else. I say, look, we're not what you want, and we're not going to go down that road, and I'm not gonna, we're not going to get sucked into that whatever. So the best thing to do is go somewhere else. And normally we'll tell them the church to go to, so, you know, they can deal with it, because, you know, we don't like them. And... Uh, you know, stuff like that. We don't ever, we don't ever, no, I shouldn't say we don't ever, we don't normally do that part. But sometimes you, 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 you just have to say to people, this, this is not where you need to be. And that's okay. Now, you don't want to say that to lost people or to people who are seeking Jesus. But if you're teaching what is false and you're not willing to move away from that falseness, that we don't have a problem telling you. Because we don't want you to infect us. And if we find that someone is teaching something that is inherently false or, or can be uh, destructive, we will 
asked him to not teach that. Once. We'll ask them. And then we'll take measures so they don't teach you. Because we don't want that to affect you. So he says, he talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus. He says they have, get this, gone astray from the truth. They've just gone astray. Claiming, here's the problem, that the resurrection has already taken place. And they are jeopardizing the faith of some. And that phrase, gone astray, is uh, kind of in opposition to the phrase accurately handling. The phrase gone astray is to shoot an arrow that misses the target or goes in the wrong direction or drifts away. So when you accurately handle the Word of God, you're dividing with precision to get to the goal. When you go astray, you have missed the goal. It's not the word for sin, but it's a similar concept. They have taken truth and they have left that path. Then he says what is going on. They have said that the resurrection has already occurred. One of the things that Paul had to deal with, in fact, I, I mean, let's say this, a, a lot of the New Testament letters, you know, after the Gospels, the book of, he, book of Acts in Hebrews, are dealing with issues concerning the resurrection at some point, because that is the single most critical thing about the Christian faith. We say that, I think I said it last week, I, mean, I may say it this week, I don't know, Christianity rises or falls on the resurrection of Jesus. It is the, the critical event. And so that becomes then the focal point of a lot of teaching, which means it becomes the focal point of a lot of false teaching. You know, the resurrection isn't complicated. It's pretty simple. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and God raised him back to life. And, and so if we trust Jesus, we have eternal life. That's not that hard. And yet we have all these wild and crazy controversies about the resurrection. But not only that, because there is going to be a resurrection of us, there's controversy there too. And so what some have done is said here at Ephesus is that that resurrection already occurred. In Corinth, the problem is some of them denied that that resurrection would occur. They denied that there be the resurrection of dead. Here, for some reason, somehow it came about that it occurred. Now, probably not meant to be a physical resurrection. What you have here is an early form of a, uh, there's this thing called Gnosticism, and I mention it from time to time, and Gnostic, is debate whether Gnosticism existed in the first century, probably in its full form, as you see in the second and third, that didn't, but elements did. And part of Gnosticism is a duality, it is a separation of the physical and the spiritual. Spiritual's good, physical's bad. And so someone who goes along that Greek train of thought would not be concerned about a physical resurrection, because the physical body is, is sinful and evil. So what, in essence, they were teaching is that there has already been for the believer, a spiritual resurrection of some sort. And so Paul, who is absolutely laser-like focused on the resurrection, always seeks to correct that. He understands the danger of that teaching. Now, we may say, why does it matter what we teach about the resurrection, the second resurrection, if a person's already come to Christ? Because when you begin to teach incorrectly about the second resurrection, it'll eventually impact what you think about the first resurrection. It'll impact how you approach and how you teach about Jesus and what he did for you. And so falsehood breeds more falsehood. So Paul is basically saying, deal with it. And if need be, you remove that particular problem. And so he says what's happening is by their teaching, they are leading people astray. And they are jeopardizing the faith of some. 
Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to keep away from wickedness. So he's saying this. The Lord knows who are his followers. Followers stay away from wickedness. So basically, if you want to know whether or not you're a follower of the Lord, stay away from the wickedness. And, 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 and he's talking about this wickedness in general. Stay away from this false teaching. Don't get sucked in to teaching what is false. Today we have so many versions of this. And, and, you know, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses do this. Mormons do this. Um, Christian scientists do this. Oh, I've always thought it was interesting. Christian scientists are neither Christians or scientists, but they got that name. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of New Age, and even within Orthodox Christianity or, or traditional Christianity, some of that seeps in about teaching what is false about uh, the resurrection and our relationship to Christ. And what you want to do is stay away from that. And, and so let me just share, there are, two, there are really two questions you want to ask of any group or teacher. What do you believe about the Bible? By this, I mean, do you believe that the New Testament and Old Testament were given to us by God? And it's true. And don't, cut out, don't worry about all the details of inerrancy and, you know, infallibility. Just say, do you believe everything in the Bible has come from God and that what God says to us is fundamentally true? And by the way, I do believe in inerrancy and infallibility and all of that stuff, in case you were wondering. Inspiration of Scripture. I do believe in all that. I just don't want to argue that all the time with people. It's just not necessary. The second question is you ask them what they believe about Jesus. If they don't believe that he is God in the flesh through the incarnation, and if they don't believe in the cross event, the Easter event, the death for our sins, his substitutionary death for us, and that his resurrection back to life by the power of God, then pretty much anything else they have to say after that is false and just walk away. Those are really the two things you need to, to focus on. Now, some of them are sneaky in their wolves and sheep clothing, and prosperity gospel comes that way. But at the end of the day, you nail down a prosperity gospel advocate, and what they believe about Jesus is not that they don't believe that he is God in the flesh, and they don't believe in the resurrection. If they're truly part of that teaching, a lot of people who go to those churches do, but they're being, they're being led astray. But I'm talking about the teachers. And so you, you nail those things down. And... and <clears throat> It's a lot of things that I look at when I deal with people and I want to know and I'm trying to find out where they stand. That's really what I want to know. I don't necessarily ask it that way. I ask it some other ways and ask some questions. But that's really what I want to know. And if you deny, if you deny the bodily resurrection, the second coming of Christ, you in essence deny Jesus. Because that's what the scriptures teach. Now Paul says this, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver implements, but also implements of wood and of earthenware. Some are for honor, while others are for dishonor. So he's kind of bringing this analogy. In a house that's large means a wealthy person has it back then. There's gold and silver, but there's also, you know, wood and, and clay pots. And so now I understand that, you know, wood and clay pots can be used for good things. I get that. But but there's an analogy just being drawn between the difference between the gold and silver. In other words, you know, which person, when they're having a big banquet, they're going to bring out the gold and silver stuff. I don't know about you, but whenever I have people over, I bring out the gold and silver dishes that we have to eat off them because I see that. Since I don't ever have anybody over to eat, I don't bring that out. Or maybe I don't have anybody over to eat because I don't have any of that. However, if they just used the common sense of wood and earthenware, that, that was just, you know, if, if you came over to a rich person's house 
and they, they brought out the clay pot for you to drink out of instead of the gold goblet, yeah, they didn't care for you much. That's kind of what that meant. Now, what he's saying is this. He's making this analogy. Anyone who, therefore, anyone who cleanses himself from these things, from the sinful, from the false teaching, he will be an implement of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Within God's people, those who have removed themselves from false teaching. And he's talking about those who got sucked into it, who've come back out of it, and have been sanctified or cleansed, made right. They are useful. But if they're still stuck with the false teaching and the false understanding, they are not very useful to God's service. We, we would be, we're always very careful about who teaches, you know, and we would try to be. I say we're always, we try to be. We want to make sure that the people that teach and the people that have influence are, are useful, that what they have to say matters. You know, we, we, you know we, we don't let people, we don't let any, like in a worship service, we don't ju- let just anybody say something. You know, someone would stand up and say, I feel led by the Holy Spirit, you know, to, to say something, preacher, can I have a word? After I stop laughing, uh, I would say, no, you don't, you don't get to speak. Uh, because we would never allow that to happen for a lot of reasons, but we, we never take a chance on not knowing whether somebody truly can share what is truthful in anything that we do. And I, I, what I'm saying is, that's kind of the analogy Paul is making here. He's saying, look, the false teachers and those who were led astray by them are not useful unless they cleanse themselves. So he says this in verse 22. Flee, it's kind of, a, it seems like it's a transition to something else. Flee from youthful lusts and pursue. So he, what he's saying is, and, and, and I find that it's one of these, sometimes the way Paul, when Paul writes, you know, sometimes the way Paul tracks when he writes, and, and, and I get this, it's like he's thinking ahead, and so he writes, you know, he's writing kind of in one area, and, he, and, and he's making connections, and he writes in an, about something else. There is a connection. The connections, sometimes it's hard to follow the connections of Paul. It really is. And, and, and I know some, you know, scholars and commentators try to make it seem so simple. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes there is a bit of a disconnect in his tracking. I find this to some degree. He's talking about dealing with the false teachers. And he's saying, some are useful and some are not. Timothy, you got to help him deal with that. And oh, by the way, flee from youthful lust. Because what he's basically saying is, Timothy, if you get sidetracked, you will not be able to stay on top of these things. So it's kind of like, Timothy, don't get tracked off in the wrong area. Here's what you pursue. This is your passion. Righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who are called on the Lord from a pure heart. Pursue righteousness, love, peace. Pursue these things. And especially those who are called on the Lord or by the Lord with the heart that is pure. So he's kind of saying, Timothy, for you, surround yourself with others like this. This is your pursuit. Which would kind of mean that those who are teaching what is false are not connected to the Lord and pursuing the Lord with a pure heart. And they are not seeking that love and peace in what is good and righteousness. That's not what they're pursuing. And so Paul, Paul is really tough. 
Paul doesn't cut any slack. Paul, Paul doesn't, you know what I think about Paul? Paul doesn't really ever allow for gray area. I hear people say a lot of times, but that's kind of a gray area. And I, and I know in our world there are gray areas. I've said before, with God there is no gray, there's black and white, gray is the color of sin. Paul kind of follows that. He's, he's pretty tough. But he had to be back then because of the way things were. So he's, he's talking about this. Notice what he says. Refuse, in verse 23, foolish, and I love this part, ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. Now Paul is being a little bit tough. So you flee, don't pursue useful lusts. In essence, what those useful lusts are going to do is involve you in foolish and ignorant controversies. And, and, and I think, what I, what I, when I read that, what I think is, I, you know, if we get sucked into something unnecessary, it's foolish, A, always. But the ignorant part's kind of hard. No one wants to be called foolish. But no one wants to be called ignorant as well. That's, that's kind of a, that is a big-time insult. Paul said, if you track down these controversies, that's where you're headed. And, you know, I look sometimes at, at churches, you know, and, and uh, over the years I've been called occasionally to help with church deal with some things. And one of the things that I've noticed is they get sucked in some pretty dumb controversies. One of the things that I've got to do in my life as a Baptist pastor is interview with a lot of churches. I've had lots of talks with lots of churches. I, I, I tell people all the time, I've been rejected by some of the finest churches in America, man. I look at the churches who did not want me, who interviewed me, didn't want me. I'm like, that's an impressive list of churches who never wanted me. So I feel pretty good about that. But I've, I've had conversations with people in churches. You can always, you can always tell what a, where a church is by the questions they ask. You can always show what's going on in the church by the things they ask you. And sometimes I get asked things, and I'm like, well, this is just a waste of time. Almost every church that has ever interviewed me has wanted to know whether or not I'm a Calvinist. I'm like, what an ignorant and foolish thing to worry about, honestly. But it doesn't matter, you know, that I am a follower of Christ. I research, you know, and I study the scriptures and I know. And the answer is, I'm not a Calvinist. Do I believe, do I agree with Calvin? Pretty much. Because Calvin pretty much agreed with Paul, you know? So I don't have no issues with that. I may not agree with him exactly how he understands it all, but I got no problem with that. Do I like Luther? Yeah, I like Luther. Now, I didn't like the fact that Calvin killed people that disagreed with him. I thought that's a little harsh, though I had sentiment with that. I can say I can see why he would do that, but probably not. Yeah, did I agree with everything, Luther? Did I agree with the basics? Yeah, man. Our connect group is going through, uh, you know, the five solas. You know, you know, solo, you know, faith alone, scripture alone, grace alone, Jesus alone, faith alone, the glory of God alone. Those are all very reformed, Calvinistic things. I'm like, well, I don't have a problem with any of that. I agree with every one of them. I'm saying this because. Some things just don't matter. You know, when I, and I tell people all the time, when I stand up and preach the gospel, I always invite people for an invitation to trust Christ because that's what I was told to do. I mean, none, none, the Bible dictates what I do, not my theology, which I know sounds strange, but theology doesn't dictate what I do. Scripture does. I don't ever want to get sucked into a stupid controversy. Because they're foolish. 
Notice what he says. The Lord's bondservant, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, <laughs> but be kind to all, skillful in teaching, patient when wrong. Now I read this, and I'm like, man, that's tough, God. I don't want to be quarrelsome. It means argumentative. I've been known to be argumentative. But I've got a little older, I've stopped. I just know I'm right, and I don't worry about it. <laughs> be kind to all. Okay, 80% of the time. Skillful in teaching, yeah, I'm pretty good. Patient when wronged, yeah, I'm good at that. But you know what? All of those things, I'm like, man, I read that, and I'm like, God, boy, I, I wish Paul hadn't wrote that. That's pretty tough. Where do you fit with all of that? Not just me, but what about you? You're the bond servant of the Lord, aren't you? Notice what it says, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. <laughs> it's assuming you're right, but with gentleness. Joe, I'm pretty gentle when, when, we, when we have staffing have to correct. Aren't I, aren't I pretty gentle? Thank you. That's a good answer. <laughs> the look on your face didn't say that, but that. Yeah, I could. <laughs> if perhaps, notice this. I love that. If perhaps, maybe. God will grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. You know why we need to be that way? Because if I get argumentative, if I'm harsh, if I'm constantly hammering those, they probably won't repent, will they? And that really what I want is to get them to repentance. Now, like I said, sometimes you have to take the actual teacher causing trouble and remove them. Here he's talking about the, but the people that have been impacted by that, Sometimes we make some tough decisions, and, and sometimes I have to go back to, to people who were affected by it and have to help them work through it gently to understand that, why we did certain things. Why did we, we remove a teacher? I've had to do that before. How to remove a teacher? Here. And some of the people struggled with it. And you have to help them understand why gently. Help them understand why that decision had to be made for the good of the church and for them. And normally they took it pretty well. You have to be patient with them. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been captive by him to do his will. This is the bottom line. This is what Paul's saying. All that false teaching, there are people being held captive by the devil. And you want to help them get out of that. See, here's the thing. The purpose of all this isn't to show that I'm right. See, that's what we want to do. We love to be right. I do. I love, I love nothing more than hear someone says you were right. I'm like, yeah, I know. About time you figured that out too. I hate saying I was wrong and you were right. I hate it. That's why I never do it, because I hate it so much. But the purpose isn't to be able to say I'm right. It's to get a person out of the snare of the devil. And when I'm the one in the snare of the devil, I want someone to help me get out of that. And I've been there. And I've had to have people wiser than me, which is a huge list, by the way. And on the path that's where I'm not, help me get out of that snare and help me realize where I was wrong. All of us at some time are going to be wrong. And we want someone to gently help us out of being there. And Paul says, Timothy, that's your job. The false teachers, be tough. 
those who have been led astray, be gentle and bring them out of the snare so they can repent and be where God wants them to be. Yeah, that's pretty good. So we'll start with chapter 3 next week.